Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast with New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fam. Your host, Mike Phillips. We got a good show for you this week. We got a two episode a week. We're going to start the week off with the Mets. I'm going to be joined in just a minute by Michael Barron of Just Mets. We're going to talk about the Mets offseason. Frankly, they've done a lot more than the Yankees have, so we're going to wait on the Yankees a bit. We're going to catch you up on the Mets moves. Talk about the managerial search. Sounds like right now Buck Walter is the, is the front runner as of recording date, which is. Uh, last week on Wednesday, so we're going to get into all that with Michael Barron just a bit. We're also going to dive into the two-minute drill. We're talk about the unreported vaccine story in the NFL, the AB vaccine card situation. Aaron Rodgers' spot blew up. They could not care less, the mainstream media, about the AB situation. I'll talk about why in the two-minute drill, but we'll get all started here with the opening tip. We're going to give you my thoughts on the Met offseason right after this. Ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time, and we'll dive into the Met offseason a bit, which has certainly been an interesting one prior to the lockout. We had the whole six-week disaster from early October to mid-November about Nobody wants to come to Flushing. Nobody wants to come to the Mets. It's a never-ending GM search. So, like, everybody either said no, was turned down. Ends up getting Billy Epler here. He does a good fit. Ends up sort of being regarded the beginning as sort of like, oh, he's the 15th choice for this job. Which did not inspire much confidence. And then the start of free agency didn't look great either. Noah Syndergaard took $21.5 million in the Angels. Didn't get the Mets a chance to match on a one-year contract. He goes. Mets get the pick. Aaron Loop, the Mets' most dependable reliever last year. Mr. Bushlight, he left for the Angels, too. Took two years. Took one of the Mets' most reliable relievers out of the bullpen. The turning point is offseason right now. Believe it or not, is Steven Matz. And to refresh here, right before Thanksgiving, the Mets thought they had a deal with Matz. Apparently, Matz went on a Zoom with Steve Cohen. They were close to a deal. Matz did turn around, went back to the Cardinals, got more money, didn't get the Mets' chance to match. We got the Steve Cohen tweet, basically accused the agent of being disrespectful and unprofessional, led to more laughs, but that sort of led to Steve Cohen sort of having his Thanos one where he just says, fine, I'll do it myself, like Thanos does at the end of Avengers Age of Ultron, the post-credit scene. Next thing you know, the money's flowing. You got $20 million for Eduardo Escobar over two years, $26.5 million for Mark Kana over two years. 78 million over four years of Starling Marte and the Kingmaker. 130 million dollars over three years of Max Scherzer. This is a massive start to the offseason. They got a lot of work done before the lockout. A potentially transformative offseason, too. Escobar and Connor, these guys professional hitters that work counts to make contact, as opposed to the Mets, who were terrible in those areas, terrible from our score position. Those two guys are good there. Starling Marte fits the same bill, also brings some speed and defense in center field. Mets not had a true center fielder in years. That will help. It allows them to slide Brandon Nimmo to a corner where he can hopefully stay healthier. This sort of feels to me like Lorenzo Cain a couple of years ago at the Brewers where 
the Mets were criticized for not going after Kane and say, oh, he's in his 30s. He'll, I don't know how he'll age well. That kind of held up pretty well for Milwaukee so far. We'll see how this goes to him. The big key, though, is Scherzer, who was the guy the Mets had to land once all the other pitchers started flying off the market. Once Robbie Ray went to Seattle, once Kevin Gaussman left Mayo Taylor in the Mets to go to Toronto, once they decided they weren't going to bring back Marcus Stroman, they had to get Max Scherzer. He's a culture changer in this clubhouse, besides how great he is in the field. Both free agents who now start seeing Queens as a destination, like they did when Pedro came in 05, and in that clubhouse. Remember that clubhouse last year? It got very rotten towards the end of the season. I think it's very telling that the Mets have not retained any of their own free agents at this point. They let Syndergaard and Luke go. Javier Baez, they had a price point for here. They would not match it to let him go to Detroit. Marcus Stroman, they showed no interest in bringing him back. He went to the Cubs. They brought us a new face and improved that room. Remember how the Mets were spending part of last year living in fantasy land. How they wouldn't deal with the problems they had. How all we heard from guys like Pete Alonzo and comes like, oh, we'll be fine. It's a process. We're doing well. How it was everybody's fault but theirs? That things were going wrong. How the media, the fans were too tough on them. That attitude is not going to fly anymore. And I think that's a big positive because that room needed accountability. And I think the big change here will help get more out of this group that really underachieved. There's still a lot of work to do for sure. Once the lockout ends, the player transactions are going to resume. They're going to probably be in on Chris Bryant. We'll see if they get the top bid there, but he will be a perfect fit for that lineup. You look at a DH possibility, maybe Nelson Cruz, once the DH gets put in the new CBA. Need more starting pitching depth, preferably one more big league starter where you can push uh, Tyler McGill and David Peterson out of AAA. You need some help in the bullpen because remember, besides just Loop, Jerry Samuel is a free agent. Those are moves guys have be replaced, and obviously depth in general because we've seen with the Dodgers. You can't be 1 to 25. You need guys like 26 to 32 have to be quality guys too. That has to be improved. Right now, look at the manager. The list they have there is a good list. They have a lot of guys on it with experience as of recording. I mean, Buck Showalter seems to be the favorite. You have guys on there like Bob Guerin, Brad Osmus, Macrotaro, Joe Espada. Like these guys are all experienced. They're strong guys. Something this Mets team got away from with the Mickey Calloway and Louis Rojas hires, I think is a big positive. Let's dive more into the Mets now. We're going to talk to Michael Barron of Just Mets right after this. Meet the Mets, meet the Mets, step right up and greet the Mets, bring your kiddies, bring your wife, guaranteed to have the time of your life, because the Mets are really sucking the ball, knocking those home runs over the wall, east side, west side, everybody's coming down to meet the M-E-T-S Mets. All right, I am back here talking about what's been a very busy Mets offseason prior to the lockout. Joining me today is one of the creators of the Just Mets blog. He's worked on Mets blog in the past. Michael Barron is here. Michael, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Not a problem. I'm glad to have you on. I got to say, this year has been such a weird year for the Mets. And I know before we get to all the fun stuff, I want to sort of go back and look at the start at the whole 2021 years. Also, like, if you could sort of sum up like what your take was on that whole disastrous season, what would you say it is? um look i mean it started off on the wrong foot with um the jared uh the 
can't even keep track of it anymore. The Jared Porter GM situation, the um, grossly inappropriate behavior on his part, um, which came to light. Um, it, I mean, you, know, you, you look back on the season and it started off so promising and I don't want to say it, um, it erased, you know, that negativity and that black cloud that was kind of over the, over the team at that point, but it certainly made you forget about it a little bit, at least through, um, at least into the, you know, early August anyway, but, you know, there, things, things got bad quickly with the club and I, and I always um, I, I circled the day before the All Star break on the calendar when the Mets had a five nothing lead against the Pirates, blew it and lost. Um, that sort of set the tone for the second half. Um, obviously, the situation with Zach Scott was um, obviously not predictable, um, but the optics were certainly um, bad. You know, with respect to the Jared Porter situation, with respect to you know, they're, I don't want to say their failed recruitment of Trevor Bauer, but you know, certainly their willingness to um, ignore um, his past behavior. And, you know, thankfully that didn't work out for them, you know, <laughs> but, um, and certainly Max Scherzer probably wouldn't be here if it had. Um, but, um, you know, it was, it was a roller coaster of a year for them ending in, very disappointing fashion. It was one of the most disappointing years I can remember um, watching the team, covering the team, talking about the team, just because the expectations were so high. And, you know, while they weren't necessarily playing particularly well through July, you know, nonetheless, they were in first place with a healthy lead, um, you know, before obviously going to California, playing the California teams and getting their their asses handed to them, you know, for that they lost 11 to 12 and that pretty much ended their season right there. But, you know, the, the writing was on the wall by then too, you know, you could tell like they were deeply flawed. Um, they didn't handle the trade deadline. Well, in my opinion, I mean, I'm kind of glad they got Javi Baez and he certainly towed his weight, but, you know, they knew um, there was something up with Jacob deGrom's forearm. They kept downplaying it and didn't address that or, or get insurance or adequate insurance at the trade deadline. And, you know, that costs them as well because they're pitching tanked in the second half. You know, Taiwan Walker was, um, you know, a shadow of himself, a shadow of the all-star um, pitcher he was in the first half, in the second half, although his, second, his uh, September was certainly encouraging. Um, Francisco Lindor struggled for most of the year after signing that big deal, although, again, his second half was encouraging. Um, and then here we are in the off season, you know, after a really bad finish, like a really, really bad second half, they lost 85 games, right? You know, they have, you know, their, their, their off season today has been a slam dunk, right? I mean, how can you, how can anyone, um, be disappointed with getting the best pitcher available, the best center fielder available? What's the common denominator there? Strength up the middle, right? Um, yeah, they, struck out, I wouldn't say they struck out, they couldn't retain Javier Baez, they couldn't, um, you know, they were obviously unable to retain uh, Noah Syndergaard, but you know, there are a lot of good things, you know, to date, they're definitely, they definitely have a better roster today than they did um, before, you know, that flurry of signings, you know, two weeks ago, their Black Friday shopping spree, as I like to put it. Um, 
and they've been engaged. You know, they were heavily engaged with Javier Baez right to the end. They just couldn't make the contract parameters work. You know, Detroit offered him, I would say, I don't want to say more of a guarantee, but, you know, a steadier salary for, um, from what I understand. So um, I think he just, and he took, you know, he's going to get to play shortstop there too. He would, you know, while he would have gotten to play next to, to Francisco Lindor and something I think he would have really rather liked to do over the long term, you know, it, I think, you know, the dollars and cents just made more sense to him in Detroit. So, you know, there's certainly been some ups and downs. It would have been nice to have Javier Baez back, but you know, that I don't think it closes, this closes the door on, you know, Scherzer signing anyway, closes the door on someone like Chris Bryant, you know, when, when, and if this lockout ends. So, um, and I, you know, I personally, I believe, you know, the off season is going to be just as exciting when this lock, lockout ends because it's going to end close to spring training players are going to want to sign and you're going to see boom, 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 boom signings again. And that's great. That was great for the sport, you know, just with the lockout looming, it was bittersweet, if you will. But, um, you know, it's been a it's been a great winter for them. I mean, you know, you don't win championships in December, but, um, you know, you have to like the roster as it stands today with certainly more improvements to, to come, you know, assuming this lockout ends. Yeah, assuming it ends at some point, but I want to start, I kind of got an order here that moves to happy. I start with uh, them finally landing on Billy Epler as the GM. I mean, I don't want to revisit the whole surge where it came life, took on life of its own. Some things probably not accurate there to others, but what do you think about the choice they made here landing Epler as the new GM of the team? You know, I, I never know what to think of, the, of these things, right? I mean, he's, uh, you got to love what he did with the Yankees, you know, and building, you know, their analytics department over those many years he was with the organization. He moved up the ranks there. He's a likable, you know, energetic GM. He had, is a future-proof GM, in my opinion, but I also think he's um, a safer pick. And for the Mets, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because I think they went with some you know, the the behavior aside. I think they went with some unknowns, um, you know, with with Porter and Zach Scott. You know, that's not to say they didn't have strong reputations. They did. But, you know, Epler, you know, obviously has GM experience. He has assistant GM experience working with the Yankees. He's had success with the Yankees. He's had success in New York. And, um, you know, I think there are reasons he didn't succeed in Anaheim. Um, the owner might have a lot to do with that. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things I arm I armchair manage. You know, I arm, you know I'm Monday morning quarterback. It's like a talk to me in a year kind of thing. I mean, I like what he's done. I like the strategy, and I and I like a lot of the things he's saying. You know, he's he's analytically driven. You know, he uses term uses the word prob, probability and probable probabilistic a lot, which is you know an analytic thought process. And you know, in order for um, professional sports organizations to be competitive, you need that kind of mind. Um, I, I mean, obviously Epler wasn't their first choice. You know, they wanted to hire a president first and let the president hire the GM. So, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said, you know, this was, you know, this is the, the choice they dreamed of. I mean, obviously he wasn't. And, you know, the way they got to them, obviously, it obviously wasn't there the, the way they envisioned it. But I don't, I don't think he's... I don't think he's, I, I, I'm not going to say he's bad. I mean, I think he's, you know, a, a, may not have been the popular or sexy choice, but that doesn't mean he's the wrong choice. And so, 
you know, I, the, I, I'm better. It's it's easier to judge when you know the popcorn trail's been laid behind him. You know, um, so let's just see what happens. I don't. I mean, I'm kind of. I was lukewarm about it before. I like a lot of the things he said, but you know, I like a lot of the things GMs say. Like they're salesmen, so <laughs> you know, um, it's a difficult question for me to answer because I like his track record um, minus Anaheim. But I think there are reasons why it happened, why he struggled in Anaheim. Um, th- there are pros and cons, and but I think that goes with any candidate. I, you know, I think even you know, if they had been able to hire, you know, Theo Epstein as the president, I think there are pros and cons there too. You know, I, I don't think he's he may have been the best, the the the, the best that might have proven to be the best paths, but that doesn't mean he's perfect. You know, he has a track record. It doesn't mean it would translate with the Mets. It doesn't mean it would translate in New York. So, you know, I don't know if that answers your question, but um, I don't dislike the pick if that, if that, if that helps. That makes sense because sort of like we haven't, like he sounds good on paper, but we have to see him actually perform on with the moves and the, and the choices he's making. Yeah. And that goes, that, that goes for anybody. And I, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, I, I was excited with any of them. Like I'm like the, I, I think there are right and wrong moves. I think there are good and bad paths. Um, but, you know, I, I like when Theo Epstein's was named as a top choice and it was reported, he spoke with Steve Cohen. I wasn't excited or not excited. You know, it was, I'm kind of numb to it. I mean, I know he might have been the best, the, the best fit for what they were trying to do, but um, you know, time always, time will always tell with these things, you know? Um, and that's really all I can say. You know, I, I, he's had a great off season. He's, you know, been a bull in a China shop. He's checked every single box and then some to date, you know, there's still work to do. You know, this was an 85 loss team. Um, but I think he's on the right path and that's all, that's all you want out of a GM. You want your, your GM, you want your owner to be, you know, at the high rollers table and, you know, in a position to win the hands and, you know, so far so good. You know, it's, he's had an awesome three weeks. You know, I'm not, I don't think anyone can dispute that. Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't either. I mean, let's start with the Black Friday shop, as you like to call it here, the big three free agent pickups here with Kana, Escobar and Marte. And I loved all three of them because, I think they add different dimensions in the Met offense. You see guys who make contact, guys who don't strike out a lot, guys performing the clutch, add some speed and defense to this group. I think it was a much-needed sort of change to how the group had been constructed over the last few years. Yeah, and I agree. I think they needed to there, – there are a lot of things they needed to address. Number one, they needed to address their balance, you know, their left-to-right balance, right? And they've done that. They got um, Marte, who does that. They got Canna, who does that. They have Escobar, who – I mean, he's a switch hitter, I believe, right? Um, so, you know, he helps them strike that balance as well. Um, so that's number one. Number two, to your point, Marte, great contact guy. Um, you know, he's got, you know, that, but I think the, 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 one of the great things he brings, one of the biggest and under-discussed things he brings to the table, number one is defense, although I don't know how long he's going to be able to stay in center field. But again, strength up the middle. We talked about that before. Very important. Number two, culturally, these three guys, you know, the really Eppler's talked um, a lot about um, the culture and the culture needing to change. You know, when you see, you know, Marcus Stroman walking out of press conferences, when you see, 
and hear Pete Alonso in the midst of a spiral with their season getting out of control, him saying, don't worry, it's all going to be fine. You know, it's this blind positivity, this toxic positivity, as my colleague uh, Rich, Rich McLeod um, termed it over the summer, that which needed to be changed. Because if you're not, if you're just, if you, if you just keep saying, you know, quote unquote, trust the process, everything's going to be fine, you know, and it doesn't, and things aren't fine, that means your process stinks. It means your culture stinks. It means your thought process stinks. So, you know, I think Billy Epler, you know, at least with their reputations being strong, clubhouse characters has checked has checked the boxes just with those three hitters alone not to mention max scherzer who we all know is just a winner right i mean everywhere he goes he wins so um um but also with Marte specifically again it's under discussed but his base running skills and i'm not talking about stolen bases yeah he led he led the league in stolen bases last year but he's one of the better base runners in the game and to say the Mets have been a consistently poor base running team, it would be probably would be understating, you know, the problem. So um, I think he go he helps, he, he, his presence goes a long way towards helping to solve that problem. They need to get better. Um, you know, they need to be better first to third. They need to be less station to station. Um, I think a little bit better coaching in the third base box would help too, but I don't know that that was the root of their problems. I mean, how many times did Jonathan VR get either picked off or thrown out stealing last year, you know, and when you, every, every time you lose an out on the bases, you lose a run scoring opportunity. The fewer runners you have on the less runs you're going to score. It's really that simple. So um, that's not to say Marte won't get picked off or thrown out stealing, but you know, again, track the track record says, that he improves that situation a lot for them. And so, um, you know, it's more than just, you know, statistics, you know, doubles, home runs, RBIs. It's okay. Well, how is he, how is he actually generating those RBIs? How is he actually generating the runs he scores and the runs he's producing, you know? So, um, you know, I think that's a very, very important thing, you know, and run prevention too. I, you know, run production can be defined to me anyway, can be defined um, by the number of runs you help prevent. Right. You know, especially if the team is struggling to score runs, which how many, how many years have the Mets been? Well, generally speaking, how many how, Mets always seem to struggle to score runs. So when you're struggling to score runs, you need to be very, very good in the run prevention department. Marte definitely helps them there as well. Yeah, I also, before we get to the Scherzer thing, which is probably the headline, headline move here, I want to get to the point you brought up about the clubhouse culture here, which you mentioned the, as Rich put it, the toxic positivity, how they seem to be living in Candylands. I call that my podcast, where they were just, everything was sunshine and roses. And I think it's telling that, like, besides the fact they brought in all these guys with big reputations, that they have not rushed to bring back any of their own guys. I mean, they had the queue out on Syndergaard. They had a price to appoint them out buy it. showed no interest in Stroman. I think that thing also sees you that they realize they are a problem at the fix. Well, I mean, I think you, I don't think you're too far off there. Um, you know, they, with, with Syndergaard, Syndergaard and Conforto specifically, I don't, I don't necessarily view them as, you know, the problem in the clubhouse. They may, they may not be the natural leader. Um, you maybe expected them to be over time. Um, you know, Conforto, you know, prior to this year is an outstanding player. Like he's an, I wouldn't, you may not be a, a superstar, but he's a great complimentary player for any lineup. 
And I think he's going to be fine wherever he lands. I think, you know, the decision to move away from Conforto is more about striking the lineup balance and becoming more um, contact centric. Um, you know, Conforto is very streaky, you know, and when he's in a cold spell, he seemingly strikes out more times than he comes up to the, comes up to the, to the plate. Um, so I, I don't think um, moving on from there is, um, has a lot to do with the culture. You know, Syndergaard, you know, remember, wasn't around a lot over the last year, really the last two years. So um, I think those that's more about, I, th- I think the Syndergaard thing was something they were disappointed about. Um, you know, it's clear they're, you know, they're moving forward in a different direction with, you know, but with, you know, the guys they've gotten to replace Conforto's presence in the lineup. When it comes to Marcus Stroman, I mean, look, He's a Long Island guy. Um, he's a guy I believe, you know, even when he first arrived, wanted to remain with the Mets or in New York long term. Um, but you know, just if you just look at what he did on Twitter, you know, over the last month, you know, taking his negotiations public, saying the things he was saying, you know, I, I the 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 liking the comment about Tony DeComo um, at um, background is um, which was um, racially targeted to say the least, probably didn't help his cause very much, um, which speaks to, which, which, you know, gets us back to his behavior with the media in general um, last summer. And I just, you know, look, this isn't me, you know, revealing anything. He walked out on a press conference when he got a question he didn't like, you know, and if you're going to play in New York, if you're going to play in any major media market, you can't do that. Um, You don't have to like the people in the media. You don't have to like talking to the media, but, you know, the team expects players to get in front of the microphone, especially pitchers after their outing, whether it's good or not. And the players who fit, the profile, the, the New York profile are probably the best at that. And when they have a, a bad day, they own the outing. When they have a good day, they know how to, um, you know, how to spread the credit around. You know, it's, it, it's disappointing and surprising that he handled the media the way he did. And this isn't, you know, meant to disparage him. I mean, I think he's a great pitcher and I'm disappointed he's not going to be a Met. You know, I think he makes the Mets better. I think he makes any team better. But, you know, the Mets, like you said, have to change the culture. And um, this isn't, you know, the, the, these aren't revealing things, you know, that, you know, with, with, with Stroman. I mean, he, these, the, his Twitter behavior is in public. His behavior, you know, on in press conferences, you know, that was in public. You know, so, then, you know, so um, I, I, I would expect the Mets were turned off by that. Um you know, and obviously, you know, he was, you know, he was a very strong personality and presence. You know, he's a very effervescent person when things are going well, you know, he's, you know, you know, he's a guy you want quotes and sound bites from. Um, but thing, when things started to go badly, you know, there were some very concerning things that he did and said, and um, which disappointed me as a baseball fan, you know, um, it's not to say that his behavior was the root of, you know, some of the other things that went down, i.e. the the thumbs down thing, 
you know, Pete Alonso's, you know, meandering comments when the club was starting to lose back in July and August. Um, but it's certainly, a, you know, a, a similar symptom to what was clearly a big problem that Billy Epler and Sandy Alderson are endeavoring to change and have perhaps achieved. Um, again, it's not meant to disparage Marcus Stroman. Um, I was a proponent of him coming back. I was, was a proponent of him being extended last, last winter. Um, but something happened, obviously. And, um, you know, here we are, you know, he's a Chicago Cub and I hope he really, I hope he does well. I hope he, you know, doesn't take his, does these Twitter shenanigans end for him. And um, because that's going to be important for his success there, you know, Chicago can be very difficult to play in when the team stinks too, you know? So, um, you know, that's, I think, you know, he shot himself in the foot, you know, long story short. Yeah. I mean, it's not, again, not a slight to any of the guys individually. It's sort of more like when the team underachieves as it did for the last three years, as I have a six weeks in 2019, like you got to change some stuff up and bring Scherzer in yeah. here. I think it's a big step in that direction because obviously Big press top rotation. I don't feel we know how, how good he is, but I think also the comparison I'm making here is sort of like the move when they brought Pedro in in 05, when yes, the contract's probably a little too long, gets a little too much money, but like sort of changed the perception to other players saying, hey, like the Mets will be in on big guys. Then come to the Mets. You can win here, have fun here. I think that's sort of the whole like transition change here. Like, what do you think the impact shares or bring size the on field stuff? Well, I mean, obviously. You know, he has, a tr he has that, you know, we always, we, you could see it every time he pitched against the Mets, this, this bulldog, you know, this bulldog mentality he has. And it's something I think, um, you know, since David Wright left, you know, they've kind of lacked that literal and figurative um, leader um, in the clubhouse and on the field, um, that inspirational leader, which, you know, anyone can follow and be, um, and be in awe of, right? I mean, he's a, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. It, to say he lived up to his contract in Washington probably understates how magnificent he was with Washington. And, you know, to that, for that matter, with the Dodgers last year, um, you know, towards the end of the year, he was fantastic last year. And he's a guy who leads by example. He's a guy who, you, know, you can see that energy, you can see that determination, and you th that can only be can that can only rub off positively on any any player of any age um, in that clubhouse. And you know, I think that's part of what Steve Cohen is buying here. You know, that's part of the asset he pro procur procured. Um, you know, he's trying to steer um, that dugout. He's trying to steer that clubhouse in a direction that only knows winning. It's like the Mets way, the winning Mets way. And you do that with winning people. And sometimes those people are expensive, but um, I think, you know, they're, you know, they, they, they realize that the contract may not end well from a performance perspective, but you're never going to change um, the attitude and the philosophy that Max Scherzer has. And like you said, you know, it's akin to when they brought Pedro Martinez in back in 2005, it, you know, you knew this wasn't the Pedro Martinez of the late nineties, you know, but they needed to, they needed to make the Mets a destination. They needed to make the Mets better, obviously, which he did. Um, 
And I think Max Scherzer does, does, does that well. And if you pair him with a healthy um, Jacob deGrom, right? what better one-two punch is there in Major League Baseball? What better one-two punch? You know, I can't think of, I mean, since Scherzer and Verlander in Detroit, and those teams went very far, you know, in the postseason. So um, you know, you're talking about one of the best one-two punches in the last 15 years, if they're both healthy. And, um, and that's just from a baseball perspective, but the intangibles, you know, like you said, I think they're, they're, they're hard to quantify. Um, but, you know, certainly, you know, he's going to transform the attitude and the behaviors of a lot of those people in the clubhouse for sure. Even those who, you know, whose heads were screwed on straight, you know, he's going to make those that, you know, he's going to make those joints even tighter, which is, you know, all you can, all, all you can want or expect. Yeah, you mentioned the combos here. One that came to mind me was sort of the Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling dynamic in Arizona, right. and they won a World Series that way. So that would obviously be fantastic. Yeah. Got to get there first, but you know, you get starts with you know with all the talk of the Mets not hitting last year. You know what did them in? What did them in, in the end? It was the starting pitching, right? They couldn't get you know more than four or five innings out of their starters, you know, down the stretch of the year, and um, they're going to have to improve. They're going to need more innings out of the front five or six than they were getting. Um, and to your point with like Schilling and Johnson, I mean, if they can get to a short series in October, I mean, it's a winning combination. Look at Scherzer and Strasburg, right. In 2019, they, they won that world series because those two pitched four of the, however many games they were, and they were dominant. Um, so, I mean, that's it. Like, you know, in the world series, in the, in the postseason, you have to expect you're going to be playing low scoring games because you're going to be facing you know, quality pitching. Even with the Mets having Degrom and Scherzer now, there are you know look the Dodgers are still a formidable opponent with their with their starting pitching. Assuming let's say Kershaw stays, you have Kershaw and Bueller one and two. Uh, that's tough to beat, you know. So, um, I mean, we'll see what Clayton Kershaw does. I find it a little interesting that the Dodgers haven't worked hard to retain him, but um, you know we'll see. I mean, it's the same thing with the Braves and Freddie Freeman. I mean, what's going on, you know? But um, you know, it's it, the, the the combo, the one-two punch is going to be a formidable force in the National League all year. I mean, it's just the, 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 it's it's nice to know that it's unlikely they're going to have any prolonged losing streaks, you know, because yeah. of that combination. And if you can get Carlos Carrasco, you know, back to you know somewhere in between last year and the year before, and you know, Taiwan Walker, you know. You don't need him pitching to a 250 ERA, but you certainly need better than the 713 ERA posted in the second half. And get somewhere in between there. I mean, the pitching staff is right where you need it to be. I think they need one more, but um, you know, it's it's hard to complain with. I mean, Scherzer just changes everything, changes the, the calculus entirely. Yeah, he does. I have two things left I want to get to. One is the manager situation. We're talking like like in the middle of uh, the week here that they're doing interviews. Buck Shovel is probably talking today. Sounds like he's the favorite right now. Would he be your top choice for the job here? Or do you have somebody else you prefer off the list they have? Yeah, I think they're, you know, I I think they're they're interviewing a lot of quality people. Um, and even some of the people have been floated out there, like uh, Bruce Boshi. It's not clear if he'd come out of retirement, but I just have a, I, I get the feeling if he were to, if he showed any interest, they'd say, what time are you available for a zoom call? You know, it's, how can they, you know, it's a, that's, that's my impression. Um, You know, I like Buck Showalter. I think he's, you know, 
he's a perfect fit for what they need right now. Um, I also like Bob Guerin. I mean, I, I got to know Bob Guerin when he was with the Mets. He's one of the smartest baseball people I, you know, I came, came, came to know. Um, he's very, he's very, he's, he's very analytical. He was that, that important crutch for Terry Collins. And I think the Met, when he left for LA and he left for good reasons, mind you, but when he left for LA, um, I think the Mets suffered. Um, and I think you could see it in the performance of Terry Collins and really, and in turn, the performance of the team. Um, so I like that he is rumored to be um, involved in these interviews. Um, I, it, you know, Brad Osmond struggled with, with the Angels. Um, but again, I think you have to take what happens in Anaheim with a grain of salt because of the ownership situation there. Um, that's why we say that we, I said that about Billy Appler. I mean, almost, you have to discount it to a degree. I mean, he has accountable there. They are accountable for their performance, but, you know, I think there's a lot built into it, you know, with the ownership, um, you know, reportedly meddling, you know, in both of their situations, which impacted, you know, their ability to win. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do think right now, you know, someone like Buck Showalter, Bruce Boshi, um, you know, fit, fit the agenda for them right now doesn't mean it's going to happen. I mean, my, I, I, it's one of the concerns I have about show Walter is, you know, how much does he want the job? You know, you know, I think, you know, if he really wants it, you know, it's, you know, he probably has a leg up over other people because like I said, you know, he checks the boxes and you have, you know, Scherzer endorsing him as well, you know? So um, you know, that helps too. When like your most expensive pitcher says, yeah, I want to play for the guy. Like that probably helps him in the recruiting process, but, um, it, it comes down to how much he wants to do it. I think, you know, it's hard for me to say he's going to be a favorite until you know that he, you know, he's excited about the job and wants the job. I mean, I don't think interviewing, you know, there are plenty of candidates who interview for jobs, you know, look at the Mets president and GM, you know, roles, they interview, and then they ultimately don't want the role. So that remains to be seen, but, I think he's the best fit. I don't like to play the favorite game. I'm not rooting for, you know, one, one person or another. Um, it's pretty transactional for me. I, you know, I look for the best fit, the best, you know, who is the best person, the best personality, who's best suited to handle the media, who's best suited to handle high expectations with the media in New York. You know, Buck Showalter, Bob Guerin, um, you know, I think, you know, they've, they've proven, you know, they can do it. So, um, you know, and a lot of people don't know, you know, Bob Guerin because um, he was a quiet presence, but he was very, very well respected and the players missed him, you know, were, you know, they, they missed him when he left and um, he's been well regarded in LA too. He's obviously, well, he's been in the postseason every year since 2015, won one world championship, three or four pennants, like, you know, and he's involved in that, like he's an important piece to that. And that, can't be discounted. Um, so we'll see, you know, show Walter is, you know, his resume speaks for himself too. Um, I don't think he's enjoyed a lot of postseason success, but, you know, I think um, that's a product of, you know, some of the rosters he's had at times. So, um, but, you know, everybody loves show Walter. So, um, and, you know, I've been a fan of his too, ever since his Yankee days. So, um, you know, I think he's a good fit. Yeah, I think so too. I think interesting press conference. Whenever this happens, he certainly can't talk about any active players. That was certainly a weird one to listen to. 
yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough, I mean, that's just something they have to, you know, they have to maneuver and navigate, but it's going to be just awkward when they can't talk about individual players. Okay. Well, how do you straighten this person out? What do you think about managing, you know, Max Scherzer? Like, you know, it's, hopefully the lockout's over soon, right? And it's not a problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And speaking of the lockout being over, now it's going to end eventually. And, and Steve Cohen does have a very public Twitter here. So, like, if you had a chance to tweet him and, and say, Steve Cohen, here's why I think we should do the rest of the offseason, what would you tell him? I would say, Mr. Cohen, can you please go buy two relievers, um, a back-end starting pitcher, and Chris Bryant? I think that's that would really round round out the roster. I would think it would solidify the roster, um, and obviously makes them a lot better. Um, I think there are plenty of relievers. I'm not concerned about you know what they're going to do in the bullpen. Um, I think Chris Bryan is still you know up in the air because the payroll is in a place where <laughs> you know most teams don't go. But um, I don't think that would stop him from signing him. I mean, I think if he believes Bryant can be that final piece, he will spend the money on that piece. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's where I tell him to go. I think, I think he knows, you know, I think he knows what the team needs too. So it, he'd say like, yeah, no kidding, bro. Right. That's what you tell me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Michael, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you, you go, before I let oh, you go, sorry. before I let you go, I can you file on Twitter and keep up with what, you, what you're doing over at just mess at rich. So, I mean, my Twitter handle, as always, is Michael G. Barron. Um, you know, Just Mets is, you know, we're, we're pretty excited to resurrect that brand. Um, that was um, a project that unfortunately um, got canceled after the 2015 season. You know, Rich is doing a lot of the, um, you know, I'm kind of overseeing um, the project, you know, at the macro level, Rich is really doing a great job, you know, managing, you know, the content and the brand. Um, that Twitter handle is um, just underscore Mets, and um, right now it's just uh, it's just a Substack newsletter, which we are, which you know, again, like Rich is doing a great job handling, you know, primarily, um, and uh, you know, hopefully, you know, when the lockout's over, we'll be able to launch a you know an actual site, which you know I've you know I've um, teased you know recently, um, we have an interesting idea and an interesting concept. Um, you know, where, you know, the, the idea for, for the whole, the whole project is to give the um, short attention span fans such as myself, you know, nuts and bolts for everything they need. Like, you know, like, so for instance, where, where are the Mets in their managerial hiring process? And we'll give you all the bits of information. If you want more, you can click, you know, there's a link to click to read more about the candidates, you know, details on the process and so on and so forth. And we feel like that's, you know, something that, you know, people don't have, you know, available to them. The newsletter is, um, follows that spirit, um, how the newsletter fits into the whole brand long-term remains to be seen. But for now, you know, Rich is having a good time managing, you know, managing that. And um, I think, you know, I think the content is good. Um, you know, we're getting a lot of positive feedback. Subscri- you know, we get a whole bunch of new subscribers every day. And so that's, it's fun to see that. Absolutely, Michael. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. You bet. Anytime. Glad to be on. The two-minute drill. 
All right, two-minute drill time. Let's talk about the Antonio Brown situation. And this is something that's going to be interesting to watch in the sports landscape here because you have COVID cases rising again in the U.S., whereas the Delta variant contributing to some, this Omicron variant starting to spread. More teams in sports having to deal with the fact that vaccinated athletes are testing positive. I think with all of that, it's very interesting that the AB saga has not drawn a ton of national headlines. Remember back when Aaron Rodgers tested positive after he misled the media about his vaccination status? That was a main story of pretty much every newscast. And I think Rodgers contributed to that, obviously, because he had all those weird interviews with Pat McAfee. But the AB situation is crazy. Aaron Rodgers, apart from not wearing the mask in the press conferences, he was following COVID protocols inside the facility from what we heard. And that led to big contest with the Packers because Jordan Love started a game for him. Jordan Love looked bad against the Chiefs. They lost, but besides the point. A.B. was suspended for three games for submitting a fake vaccine card to the Buccaneers so he could get around the COVID protocols without actually, you know, getting the vaccine. The league reportedly was trying to go for a six to eight game suspension here to end the season for Brown, the two other guys on the Bucs who tested who not has it positive, who tried to cheat the system with the cards. But the negotiations end up working with the NLLPA for a jointly agreed upon three-game suspension where the players involved waive their right to appeal because the NFL sort of wants to have this mess go away as quietly as they possibly can. Right now, the Buccaneers have been very quiet on the Brown situation. Bruce Arians said, like, like, we're not talking about it until after the suspension is over. That comes after this week's game. Tom Brady has long been a Brown defender. He won and brought to New England, got him there for a game, got cut, encouraged them to bring Brown in last year, helped him with the Super Bowl. What Brown did needs to have consequences. Antonio Brown not only put everyone at organization in jeopardy of attracting COVID, including his 69-year-old head coach, Bruce Arians, who was a cancer survivor, 83-year-old offensive assistant, Tom Moore, who could experience more severe complications if he got it, because again, Bruce, if you follow the science here, that the older you are, the more at risk you are of getting severe complications from COVID. And there's also this little discussed fact that faking a vaccination card is a felony. Surely the league does not want to have the scrutiny of an active player being charged with a federal crime. And we haven't heard any inclination from the government how they want to handle this, but would you be surprised if they want to make an example of Antonio Brown to try and crack down all the average Joes who are thinking about doing this? I am fascinated to get the Buccaneers handle this. I suspect right now that in pursuit of winning and with Brady's feelings in consideration here, I think they're hoping the heat dies down and they can ignore it for another week. They'll quietly get him back on the field. He's, he apologized. He's wearing a mask, blah, blah, blah. But to me, that's unacceptable. You do something stupid like that. You should face consequences and not just a three-game suspension. I don't think he should be on the team. This is not the first incident for Antonio Brown either. He's had off-the-field craziness with the Steelers that led to him getting shipped out to Oakland. He didn't last there. Went to New England, got found himself out of the league. His talent's going to be playing second chances for bad behavior. But this one, to me, I think it's a bridge too far. Like, as long as the COVID situation is nuts like this, a guy like this is proving he's willing to lie to, to put other people at risk for his own convenience, that's too proof far for me. That guy should not be in the league right now. We'll see what happens there. We're going to end the show, though. I want to thank Michael Barron for taking the time today to talk all about the Mets. That was an interesting conversation. 
You mark yourself like this podcast, it's literally my breakdown of the Mets managerial candidates. And I have a power ranking in there of like who I think the best to the worst are. So again, as he talked about Michael, great list. I think anything would be fantastic choice for the Mets. Check out the vlog over just on the suffering.wordpress.com. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, Google Play, all the usual suspects. Simply search Just End the Suffering, your favorite podcast platform. You can find our episodes there. Feel free your feedback and starring as well. That make their podcast even better going forward. So check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. The video version of this chat with Michael Barron is up on the YouTube channel. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And that's the first episode of the week here on the podcast. Coming up later as we do our Week 15 NFL picks, a little fantasy football talk, and more. Until then, have a good week, everybody. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.